0: Hello everyone, welcome once again to Cave of Apologetics. I'm Patrick and I'm Tony and we're in the middle of chapter two. So we took a look at the uh, biblical formation of apologetics. And so obviously we, we want to get, be good Framians uh, as as uh, we read in our last book. And we want to draw everything back to scripture. So if we're not rooted in scripture in our apologetics, then what are we doing here? And so that's right. Um, so, so the authors of our book, Faith Has Its Reasons, Ken Thboa and robert bowman jr have, uh, have 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 laid the groundwork for a, a a scriptural basis for uh any apologetic method and so uh, uh as the book progresses they're going to uh lay the foundation for the four different versions of uh kind of the main splits of, of apologetic methods and then suggest one of their own as well um but here uh we know that things happened after 33 a.d uh, and a whole slew of of, uh, of prophecy was fulfilled uh, uh, from from Jesus' own mouth, saying that uh, the, the the works that uh, are performed will uh, after he's gone will be even more greater. And so we don't see just apologetics um, uh, coming about, um, you know, Billy Graham era. Uh, it's it, it happens quite early, but also we don't see kind of the full formation of what we would. Uh, kind of put our thumb on today and and say oh this is apologetics uh, you know 101 in year 101 um, it, it it took a little bit to progress and but we see we see the church councils engaging in critical thought and uh, f- uh, forming different definitions uh obviously the the, the term Trinity isn't found in scripture but all the all the uh the, the proof texts are there and so then you have um, uh, people applying uh, platonic ideas to um, scripture and we'll cover that uh, uh, here as well so uh, what we're doing here in the second part of chapter two is talking about uh, the early church fathers onward to kind of get an overview history of of, uh, uh, apologetics just in general so not just one particular method uh, but some of these people will come up again uh, later and again also you can't cover everything because this is a, a, a pretty dense book. Uh, you can probably do a little bit of damage uh, with this. Uh, maybe maybe stop a, a good-sized bullet uh, with it. And so that's how you know you've got a good book. At least that's, it's right. a, that's how I categorize mine. I'm, I'm right. carrying it. You know, uh, it, it, will will I need a bulletproof vest, or, or right. can I just have or,
1: or can I you just use the book and my That's right. yeah yeah so bulletproof right. book well yeah yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, we start with uh, the early church fathers in the post uh, apostolic era the challenges that confronted the burgeoning um, church as it spread throughout the Roman Empire required a new apologetic counterthrust. thrust rabbinic Juni- Judaism and uh, uh, fully developed uh, Gnosticism persecuting pa- uh, paganism and Hellenistic culture and philosophy all opposed the fledgling church and uh, a really good book uh, by uh, the, the guy who I'm always going to talk about is uh, Michael J Kruger Christianity in the second century uh, covers this really, really well on on kind of um, the, the the main thrust against the the church, especially from the Gnostic period and showing um, the, the non orthodox. Uh, um, uh, belief systems that were were attempted to be thrust onto the church rather mm-hmm. than, oh, they just suddenly appeared from within the church. And uh, there was a war between the the, the opposing parties and uh, orthodoxy won out because it's the thing that won. Well, All right. So they not, would they would obviously. produce
1: these books and then throw up a, a, a an a apostle's name on it and right. say, well, there it is. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yep. But the, the relig- religious apologists defended Christianity against these attacks and sought to gain converts to the faith by arguing for the superiority of the Christian position. There were political apologists who argued that the church should be tolerated by the state. And uh, we see that going forward and <laughs> and uh, uh, Constantine's uh, names being brought up and almost too often Constantine's names brought up and the uh, ahistorical uh, uh, uh value <laughs> in some of that or some of the councils around that era uh seem to uh to uh, people uh don't read the sources but just want them to, to to be more powerful or less powerful than what the what they really are so um yeah. so uh, even even from this uh first position <laughs> of of really second century uh church um you're 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 um being under attack both physically uh, but also uh, the ideas are, are, are coming out and you you do see it in in places like Jude and and uh, some of the letters that John has of these uh, maybe uh, proto Gnostic uh, uh, teachers coming in. Uh, but but, uh, but the the Wolves and sheep clothing have been have been talked about uh, from Jesus own mouth to the Apostles and we definitely see that um, coming about and so uh we we see the growth of the christian church and so with the growth comes people that want to overtake it
1: exactly attacks main uh many from within right in terms of uh these ty- types of things And the uh so this is the period <clears throat> right after the apostles right so this is we, we call this the early church fathers right so uh and the the apologists of the second century is the time period that we're talking about modeled their arguments um Boa and Bowman tell us uh, after contemporary philosophical refutations of polytheism and the critiques of pagan philosophy by Hellenistic Jews. So these Jews were arguing against polytheism and pagan philosophy. And so the early Christian apologists modeled their arguments after, after these uh, Jewish kinds of arguments. Uh, of the many apologists from this period, the most important by far was Justin Martyr. So he was, <clears throat> they, they, uh, They uh, uh, date him 100 to 165. He was a convert to Christianity from Platonism. Uh, And in his dialogues with Trifo, the Jew, Justin used messianic prophecies from the Hebrew scriptures to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, In his two apologies, he appealed for the civil toleration of Christianity and argued that it was, in fact, the true philosophy. Right. So he, uh, so he, he was uh, going against the, uh, the idea that this was some type of, you know, uh, wrong or cultic type of thing. To show that Christianity should be tolerated, he refuted common errors and rumors, for example, that Christians were atheists, right, because they denied the deity of the, you know, of the of the uh, uh, Caesar or whatever, so they weren't atheists, and they denied other gods, by the way. And he also, you know, refuted the idea that Christians ate flesh and drank blood, right, because they did symbolically but you know the idea right. here was that they were they were cannibals right? <laughs> right and he presented christianity as a morally superior religion so notice here there was lots of confusion with regard to what christianity was all about and so um much of his apologetic was clearing up this particular confusion right no we, christians are not atheists no christians don't eat flesh and blood right these are these were uh confusions and uh that uh, he fought against in his apologetic method
0: yeah yeah and just martyred uh, uh, <clears throat> an unfortunate last name uh, you know yeah. he really should have thought that one through you know <laughs> gone through the legal channels to get that changed yeah and and so uh we see this as as uh, um, um even in uh secular history yeah, the the charge that uh, there there's these weird uh, Christians that are incestuous in some nature because they call each other brother and sister and and they're uh, engaging in cannibalism uh, but also you have uh, these these uh, philosophers coming in and saying. Yeah but look at their lives and 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 look at the good that they're doing and when uh when they when they go to uh a uh, prison uh they they have people that uh that aren't in their family and they come and uh bring them provisions and uh in my um in one of my messages uh, that I've uh posted on here before uh to uh the high, uh, the high school group or the college group high school group um I I, I gave a a big quote on on um, uh some of these testimonies of of the early christians and showing that their lives were characteristic of people who were separate from the world that they were uh, that they were uh, used to be a part of uh but now they're a part of this this one family and uh here even even your your uh outward actions are seen as an apologetic and so um it's not just a, a a thing that you say or you know uh you know we, we can be uh even better atheists than the atheist uh, uh we we joined the ranks of of socrates who was also uh considered an atheist because he uh he had just uh, you know a, a, one personal god uh you know associated with him and uh that he denied um and so uh from from even the lives of the early church we see how they lived was an outward reflection of their apologetic so by far, the most important Greek apologist of the third century was Origen, whose a lengthy contra uh, calcium, uh, which is against uh, um, Calcius, uh, was the reply to Calcius' philosophical, ethical, and historical criticism of Christianity. This, uh, he lived uh, kind of 185 to 254. Um, uh, he's kind of known for uh, uh, taking and run, running with uh, uh, Old Testament uh, uh, interpretation, but, uh, <laughs> but he's still... Um, is an early church father who um, st- stood before Caesar and, and uh, declared Christ as, as Lord uh, over and above all. And so uh, in, in this uh, against Celsus, for example, Origin argued that Jesus did not do his miracles by sorcery. Offered an impressive historical defense of Jesus' resurrection against the early hallucination theory. Oh, we were just all we're all just <laughs> taken aback, and we're all just hallucinating the same thing that uh, that the 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 man the Romans killed are is eating fish with us, and and then traveling along, and then rising up into heaven. Uh, so he's objecting to uh, to to that interpretation, and it showed that the miracle stories of of uh, paganism are far less credible than those of the gospels needed that all without Bayes theorem. Who, who would have thought it is with good reason. That origins books has been ranked <laughs> as one of the classics of apologetics. And we still have way more, uh, translated need for, uh, those works, but at the same time origins, a little bit weird, uh, in, in, in his writing and his work. And so, uh, there's not really that much of a push as there is for like, augustine or or um or just martyr
1: exactly and that's what we get to next in the fourth and fifth centuries pagan religions were on the wane and christianity was on the ascendancy through the empire particularly after the edict of uh, constantine in uh, 313 and so the greatest apologists and theologians of this period indeed of the first millennium period you know of christian history was um Nearly everyone's reckoning was Aurelius Augustine, right three fifty four to four thirty. He was the bishop of Hippo, whose apologetic and theological writings range wa- widely over the areas of human culture, philosophy, and history. So he wrote you know, widely with regard to all of these uh, various areas,
0: right. Uh, one of the first, uh, women, uh, that we see kind of in church history that takes a forefront is his mother, uh, who, uh, is the exasperated woman of all history. Uh, it's, it seems all she did was pray for this lost soul. And the fact that, uh, that he, uh, um, was able to live how he did and then turn around and write, I mean, uh, um, uh, uh, was it, uh, this, the a city on a hill or, uh, uh, his, his main work about, the? Uh, the the two city. cities yeah, yeah the two cities uh, yeah. I mean uh, masterful it, it's still studied today uh, from uh, political uh, outlook or or um, just general living but of course uh, we want to study it from uh, the culture that um, he uh, came to recognize himself being a part of which is uh, Christianity. And we see uh, the Reformation going back to him. In fact, the Counter-Reformation goes back to him as well, depending on if you want to talk about his ecclesiology versus soteriology. Uh, so it depends, uh, you know, which, which uh, arm you want to wrestle for Augustine. Uh, but uh, a, a very important figure who uh, got a lot accomplished in 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 a life that... Uh, that uh, it seems like you almost need three lifetimes to accomplish what, what he did or went through. <laughs> well, as Augustine became more involved in church life, his apologetic work became more diversified. Over the course of his life, he wrote numerous works championing Christianity over paganism, refuting heresies and uh, uh, that were plaguing the church and expounding Christian truths in a positive manner in teaching manuals and sermons, edification of Christians. So both responding to and then uh, bolstering up uh, the truth so he did he did the the the, the two prongs he would uh, he would make frame frame uh, happy with that <laughs> augustine wove the proofs he found compelling into an apologetic consisting of numerous strands these proofs include fulfilled prophecy the consistent monotheistic faith and uh, the worship of the church and the miracles of the bible and especially the miracle of the massive conversion of much of roman society to faith in a crucified God, even when such faith brought martyrdom. So this idea that oh well, of course, uh, you know uh, Constantine uses Christianity to to uh, exert political power to 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 remain in rule. Well, they already had that. So what what, what what's what's with uh, tr- trying to to uh, supplant the, the 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 gods that you could just insert yourself into uh, like uh, the, the Egyptians did. Uh, with a monotheistic god that you have to subject yourself to seems like a, an odd way to go if if that's uh if that's the 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 deal that you're trying to propose and so um augustine here is saying like look, look uh you, great you built the roads but you know what we did we took those roads and we spread the gospel and the truth prevails because look at the numbers that that we are are having look at the impact look at the 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 babies that are being um uh um pulled out of, of the the dumpsters and sides of hills and we're raising them up and now they're entering in society as full fledged Roman citizens and there'll come a day when uh the, the might of Rome uh will fall, but uh, the the uh, kingdom of Christ uh will continue to prevail. And so um that's uh, that was part of his apologetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: All right, so next, uh, w- let's move on. Boa and Bowen, uh, Bowman moves us on by the 7th century Christianity to absorb uh, the Greco-Roman culture and triumphed, quite frankly, in the struggle against uh, paganism. The church was a central vehicle of Western culture uh, by this time, and its apologists during the Middle Ages directed their efforts in three directions, toward unconverted Judaism, toward the threat of Islam, and the rational ground for belief. Two Christian philosophers in the Middle Ages who stand out for their contribution to apologetics and whose works continue, by the way, to be read and debated today were Anselm and Thomas Aquinas. So these were big names uh, during the, the, the Middle Ages period
0: mm mm-hmm. and we've talked about An- Ansom before we've talked about him in uh, definitely uh, what about evil and i think we covered him a little bit last time in uh, um frames apologetics but ansem uh, uh lived from 1033 to 1109 he was the bishop of canterbury he was one of the most creative and original <laughs> philosophers the christian church has ever produced uh when we talked about him his prayers were the things that the, the vehicles of philosophy so he would pray a prayer about god being the greatest possible being and from there we get a full apologetic uh, methodology that uh we we um we take in our uh, uh philosophy 101 classes so uh <laughs> you know what are your prayers doing this is, is the, uh, the, the the charge against uh, against you that you can take there well although his uh, philosophical arguments are often treated simply as rationalistic proofs designed to convince atheists for him they were expressions of the search for understanding of one who had already believed and so it's not just this opiate of the masses type deal it's the okay i want to m- make sure that i'm believing correctly i'm believing rightly and that uh, f- what i see out in the world is reflected in the truth of god and so it's a a, a kind of a both ends uh, situation of of uh looking at your book and looking out and then looking out and seeing where it is in your book on the other hand he did intend at least some of his arguments as proofs to answer unbelievers and to confront them with the truth so uh again taking the uh the the two-bit approach of being both offense and defense uh into
1: consideration there right and as you mentioned uh the most famous by far of his philosophical arguments has come to be known as the ontological argument uh, this is the development of which uh, Anselm's uh, writing is um, was groundbreaking efforts in apologetics. So the essence of this argument is that the notion of being being right—that's the—that's the ontology here of unsurpassable greatness—is logically inescapable, and so from the idea that that than which nothing greater can be thought. Anselm inferred the existence or being of God, right? So the idea here is uh, God is the greatest conceivable being. He, uh, If he only existed in our mind, then he wouldn't be the greatest because he wouldn't exist in reality. And therefore, in order for God to be the greatest conceivable being, he must exist in reality. So that's right. the basic idea of this ontological argument that uh, Anselm uh, gave to us as a result of his... Uh, his prayers, right? So God is that in which nothing greater can be thought or conceived of. And based on that, he basically argues to the, for the existence of God.
0: Right, Um, reading uh, people like B.B. Warfield that we'll get to um, in uh, chapter four, uh, his theology is littered with um, uh, scriptural support and, and application. And just the opposite is that his his uh, theological presentations are littered with uh, references and 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 uh, cross references to um, uh, areas of other higher learning. So, um, and some uh, reminds me of uh, Warfield in, in that uh, in that type of duology aspect that uh, that he wanted to bring balance to both sides there. Well, he had other major contributions to apologetics, and is found in his "Why God Became Man" or "Why the God-Man." And he argued that God became a man because only God, in His infinite being, could provide an infinite uh, satisfaction or atonement for man's sin. So that's one thing that uh, we we use to argue about why why does uh, why does Christ have to be fully God and fully man uh, in in our understanding of of the, the uh, person and deity of Christ. And so um, uh, Anselm is one that helped to, to uh, develop a, a better understanding of, of what that is.
1: Yeah, so notice, <laughs> no matter how good Patrick is, and he's a good man, he could not die, sorry, Patrick, for all the sins of the world. Right. He might be able to pay for his own sins, right? But he couldn't pay for the sins of the world because the world is vast, right? All the people in it. And the penalty for sin against an infinite God is an infinite, uh, you know, payment. And so God had to become man in order to pay this infinite uh, price. And so Jesus had to be uh, both God and man. And so, yeah, this is uh, an important argument uh, Mm -hmm. that uh, Anselm brought out and and helped uh, the church understand. The, uh, and then again, and then during the Middle Ages as well, uh, our good friend Thomas Aquinas, right, in the 13th century, uh, Christian Europe was shaken by the rediscovery and distribution of the philosophical works of the Greeks, namely Aristotle and, you know, and Plato, and the strong impetus given to the Aristotelian worldview by the very capable Spanish Arab philosopher, Averroes, right? So there was a rediscovery. Of uh, of Aristotle, and of course, it you know it kind of lit up the intellectual uh, landscape during that time. And Aquinas, he was twelve twenty five to twelve seventy eight, is when he lived. Offered a response to this challenge that would change the course of Christian philosophy and apologetics, right? And so, um, a, a tremendous influence that uh, the great teacher Thomas Aquinas. Um, uh, was for the church
0: yeah yeah he sought to combat the challenge of the work greco arabic worldview by creating a christian philosophy utilizing aristotelian categories <clears> and logic <throat> again uh, uh, d- didn't take on at first like all, all good thinkers uh, and so um, uh, there's been probably more books written about uh, repercussions of that, uh, both, uh, Protestant and Catholic, uh, then, then probably have been, uh, written, uh, by, um, Arist- or by Aquinas himself, but in the summa contra Gentiles, he presents an apologetic directed primarily against avarism, but also offering a sweeping, comprehensive Christian philosophy in Aristotelian terms. And this is, uh, this would be the, the joke of, uh, um uh how everyone thinks uh you know a, a really big book is a uh, war and peace uh, uh at least uh that that was always the joke in in looting tunes but the the summa is is uh you know multi-volume set that that uh you, i'm still amazed that people of that time had the patience to 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 do that type of 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 um of of writing and just scholarship and so um uh, again I, i'll uh if i remember it i'll put, put a link to the uh to the uh, uh, co-host uh, that I did with um, tr- uh, tr- uh, Troy Fraser uh, for when we talked about uh, Aquinas
1: as well. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing that uh, people would you know set aside the TV and the internet in order to read <laughs> his book, right? right, right <laughs> his right. volumes actually. Right. So, yeah.
0: It was really hard for them to charge their <laughs> smartphones to. to, to uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, but Aquinas is probably best known for his five ways that is five arguments for the existence of God. So these theistic arguments have been the subject of obviously enormous debate for over uh, two centuries. Now it's interesting, you know, in his works here, these, the, this, this, uh, this piece of five uh, ways here was really just a very small part, just a few pages. Right. And so he didn't put a great emphasis on the five ways, um, uh, but according to Aristotle, the uh, God, or um, exist is vastly, and I'm sorry, vaguely recognized by all. That is, God, however, is not universally recognized. So he's vaguely recognized, he's not universally recognized, but people have some idea. And so God's existence then may be inferred from the nature of the world as, and these are the five ways changing right so he argues uh, to god from the from the idea of change right everything is changing there must be something that doesn't change that kind of uh uh you know gets the change going and so that's god causative or causation right everything has to every event has to have a cause and so there needs to be a prime mover Notice how he's getting some of these ideas from Aristotle, Mm -hmm. right? And so God, uh, he gets the God from this idea of causation. Contingency. So we live in a contingent uh, universe where, you know, all the things that we observed are dependent on something else. So there must be something that's non-contingent that's necessary in order for... But these various contingent things to be to come from right and that that necessary being is god graduated and ordered ordered is kind of like the you know the uh the design argument kind of thing so these five ways then again mentioned very briefly in his works have become uh you know extremely important and the subject of enormous debate uh, since he since he put this together
0: right well, these proofs, according to Aquinas himself, show that a God exists, but do not prove God per se. For Thomas Aquinas, faith in God ought to be based on the revelation in Scripture, not on the proofs. The proofs were apparently offered not as a refutation of atheism, which was not a serious option in Aquinas' day, but to show the coherence of Christianity with Aristotelianism. Again. Uh, 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 Aquinas was big on trying to say, like, listen, there's a lot that we can learn from Aristotle, and 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 to to just say, oh, it's it's a you know a dead Greek guy who was a pagan <laughs> is is to, to shirk off uh, uh, all the good that can come out of it, and so um, he's he's really pushing for the Aristotelianism, not for atheism, which doesn't really come to rise until the Enlightenment.
1: Yeah. So notice what he does here is he kind of you know emerges reason and revelation, right? What's the source of knowledge? Well, revelation, God, you know, reveals himself. But you know what? The folks that don't believe that God exists or doesn't believe that, uh, you know, in God, they also can have knowledge. And where's their source of knowledge? Well, that is reason. And so God, he kind of combines in the notion of reason and revelation to help us see that these various sources. Now, still, reason is dependent on God, but uh the unbeliever to a certain extent can have knowledge because of the gift that god gives with regard to reason and so that's kind of one of the things that he gave us right in terms of uh church history Mm
0: -hmm. and we have Uh, to remember too that uh that these names that we're talking about uh are, are are good to know and remember but they're also good to know and remember for the rest of our book because uh they'll be either uh people that we talk about again uh for, more fully w- with the scope of their apologetic method or people that were inspired uh by them to uh to hold to their apologetic method as well and so uh both uh, uh anselm and and uh, uh aquinas here will um will uh be very forefront uh with with uh, some people including uh those for the first group that we'll talk about in chapter four
1: yeah
0: good thanks for joining us <laughs>